Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. this morning is taken from the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work and do labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There's way too much to cover with this commandment. There are issues of remembrance, of Sabbatarianism, legalism, and even which day the Sabbath is come to mind. And we don't have time to cover all of them. But this is a a vital commandment. And we do take it way too lightly. In Israel, Sabbath breaking was a capital offense. But in our culture, we don't much care. And it is becoming more and more rare to see it practiced faithfully. This commandment is the first positive or affirmative commandment. The commandment tells us to do something instead of to not do something. We're commanded here to remember the Sabbath day. And what that means is that we are to keep it holy. But that is a complicated concept. And that's why this is the longest commandment. God explains it for us. The commandment explains that holiness on the Sabbath day has to do with a ratio of six work days to one day of rest. Holiness on the Sabbath means setting it apart for not working, or at least not normal work. Every seven days we are told to set the Sabbath day aside for remembrance. Next we learn who this applies to. And it's pretty universal. It applies to you, your children, your family, your household, your employees, And even to your animals and the the guests that you have visiting you. And next we learn that this is a creation mandate. That means that it's part of the fabric of the world. God created the world this way. He made it this way. And the Sabbath is a blessing. So it's not only a creation mandate, but it's a blessing. It's for our good. God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. God has made the world with the patterns of weeks in order to remind us. Every Sunday we come together to worship in order to remember God, to worship the Creator, and to glorify His name. At the heart of this commandment is the duty of remembrance. And God gives this command because we are prone to forgetfulness. There are two ditches we must watch out for in our forgetfulness. First, we must not forget to remember or fail to keep the Sabbath day. 
This means don't go to work on Sunday. Don't do your weekly grocery shopping on Sunday. Don't fail to go to worship on Sunday. And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are here. But the other ditch is to forget to rest. God intended to give us blessing. He blessed the Sabbath. And he set it apart. He showed us what that means. Because he worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh day. Don't turn Sundays into a bunch of pharisaical rules. We're called together to worship God. But God gives us life in his presence. Don't be sour about attending worship. And uh, or not being able to make another dollar. Instead, rejoice that God has given you rest, and rest in his rest. Accept the grace of God. Open your hands and heart to his free gifts, and remember his love, his mercy, his kindnesses, and his grace. And this reminds us of our need to confess our sins. So if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. Paul is traveling with seven companions, uh, Gentile representatives of churches that Paul started. And he's, he's uh, traveling with these men, and they're, they're, he, he has gone out to the churches, and he's, he's do, doing a fundraising mission. He's gathering funds, and, and these men are sending contributions from their churches to Jerusalem, and they're traveling with Paul. Moreover, the author of the book, Luke... Dr. Luke, the, the apostle, uh, is traveling with Paul at this point in the, in the story, and they're trying to make it to Jerusalem by the Feast of Pentecost, or it's the, the ancient Hebrew Feast of Weeks. It took place 50 days after Passover, or the Christian Feast of Easter. And so Paul had celebrated Easter in Philippi on this journey. It's, he's on his third missionary journey. And uh, he celebrated Easter in Philippi, and he's been pushing pretty hard to travel all the way from Philippi, which is north of the Aegean Sea. In fact, there's a map in your bulletins, so if you can want to follow along a little bit, you may. Uh, Philippi is north of the Aegean Sea, and he's got to travel all the way from there along the, the western coast of Turkey, and then across the Mediterranean Sea to Palestine in order to make it to Jerusalem, by Pentecost, so he's got seven weeks to do this. And so he's on the return journey of the third missionary journey. And, you can, and again, you can see it outlined in your maps. We've just finished studying Paul's farewell sermon to the Ephesian elders. Um, Paul had spent three years in Ephesus ministering to the church there, and, and the, the last couple chapters of the book of Acts have been focused there. Um, and now he's, he's leaving them for the last time, and he's, he's given a, a sermon to us at the end of chapter 20. And uh, he reminded the elders there that the Lord said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I only bring it up because today we're going to see how on this principle Paul lives. 
he lives by this principle. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So he, he, he himself, he makes himself an example. And his example is sincere, deep, rich, and faithful Christianity on his journey to Jerusalem. The first eight verses of chapter one, uh, 21 are of, our, of our text, they relate the journey from Miletus to Caesarea. And I start with verses one through six. Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, departed from the elders in Ephesus, uh, running a straight course, we came to Kos, and following the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship. And they returned home. So they've made the long journey across the Mediterranean Sea in this text. And they, they come to, to Tyre, which is in Phoenicia. It's just north of Palestine, north of, of Israel. And they, they stick around in Tyre for seven days. Um, while there they find disciples, Christians. And Paul is warned again not to go to Jerusalem. And the reason I say again is because Luke has just related to us, this to us in the last chapter, chapter 20, in his sermon to the elders of Ephesus. He says this. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So Paul knows what's, what's coming ahead. He's told us this already, and Luke's reiterating it here, that the, 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 the saints, the believers, Paul's friends, don't want him to go to Jerusalem. And so Paul shows up at, at Tyre, and he spends seven days there. And, and that's interesting also in, the, in that we know he was in a hurry to go to Jerusalem, but, but they must have made good time when they crossed the Mediterranean Sea because he was a lot closer to his destination here. So he had some time, and, and when he had some time, what's he do? But he goes and he finds the church, and he, and he fellowships, and he ministers there. And he must have made quite an impression on these believers because we see this sweet parting on the shore. And then Paul continues on to Caesarea on the way to Jerusalem, despite their begging him not to go. Verses 7 to 11. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who proph prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, 
So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So here we see Philip the Evangelist. And we've, we've come across him before, back in chapter 8. He's one, he's one of the seven deacons that the church uh, ordained uh, to, 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 to minister to the, the Hellenist widows. Uh, and then after Paul persecuted the church in Jerusalem, and the church split, they, it, went, it went everywhere. We, then the, gospel, the, the story of Acts follows Philip for a little while, and, and he brings the gospel out of Jerusalem because Paul was persecuting him. He brings the gospel out into Samaria, and he has a fruitful ministry there. And then he brings the gospel from there down on the road towards, towards Africa, and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch, and he, and he brings the gospel and sends it on to, to Africa. And then we, the last time we ran into him it was in that same chapter, and he, he left the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was traveling north through what was Philistia in the Old Testament, um, traveling north up towards Caesarea, uh, sharing the gospel in every city that he comes to. So this, and, and all of that had happened some 28 years before this occurs here in our text. So that happened in, in, in the year AD 30, the year that Christ was crucified, resurrected, and, and, the, and the gospel just starts spreading like wildfire from Jerusalem. And uh, here, 28 years later, we see that Philip is established in Caesarea. He's, he's, his, his, his family is growing there, and he's spreading the gospel. Um, and we also ran into Agabus, the prophet, back in chapter 11 in Antioch. That was Paul's home church. After Paul was converted, he went, he went out to the desert for three years, and he went down to Jerusalem, and then the, the Jews in Jerusalem were going to kill him, so they, they sent him out of town. So he went up to his hometown of Cilicia, Tarsus, and, uh, and then from there, Barnabas called him down to Antioch, and that's where he starts his formal ministry. And right when he first comes into formal ministry, Agabus comes on the scene in Antioch from Judea. He comes, comes into Antioch and he says, he prophesies that there's going to be a great famine through all the world. And this, and this famine happened during the reign of Claudius uh, Caesar. And so, so we ran into Agabus at the very beginning of Paul's ministry. And now we run into him here. And, and what's Paul doing but bringing famine relief to the church in Jerusalem? And here this man who was there at the inauguration or, his, or the ordination of his ministry, uh, it shows up here um, closer to the end of the book, and he's prophesying now that Paul will be bound and sent to the Gentiles. And this causes great distress for Paul's companions. Uh, it, it instigates a great pleading by Paul's friends, begging him not to go to Jerusalem. Verses 12 to 16. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. 
Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, and brought with them a certain nation of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So here we see Paul's determination to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go. He says, I, I know all these things that you're, you're prophesying. I know what, what awaits me, and I'm, I'm going anyways. So why was Paul so determined to go to Jerusalem? What, what was driving him there? The answer is that Paul was on a mission from God. Paul, Paul was on a mission from God. And, and remember the principle by which he's living. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So let's, let's look at how this particular mission was Paul living out that principle. Paul was on his way to Jerusalem to give to the church. He had, he had been on a fundraising mission. He'd been on a fundraising mission, raising up money from all the Gentiles. In fact, he wrote the books of Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Thessalonians while on this missionary journey. And he's and he's going. He's on his way, and and he, he's begging these. He's telling these people to. Uh, to, he's asking them to give to the church in Jerusalem. Since they're recipients of the grace of God, they're recipients of the grace of God that came from Israel. What He says, what, what is the great asking that I'm asking you to ask of your material blessings for the great spiritual blessings that you're recipients of? So he's, he's gone on this, this missionary fundraising journey, and he brings these gifts now to the church. To give, so he, he's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Next, he was going to give honor to God by keeping the Sabbath. Paul was living in that 40-year period where there's an overlap of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Paul was a Jew. In the, in the Old Testament, God commanded that all Jewish men would present themselves at the temple three times a year for the high Sabbaths, the high feasts. And they would go to the temple and they would celebrate. It would be a big party, uh, worshiping God and bringing to God the tithes, especially at the Feast of Pentecost, which was the Feast of Weeks. It was following the, 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 the first harvest of the year, and it was the Feast of first fruits. You would bring your first fruits to the, t to the temple in Jerusalem and offer it to God. Well, Paul was doing that. He's bringing the first fruits of the gospel ministry to the, to the Gentiles. He's bringing their money. But he's also bringing the Gentiles. The, 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 the representatives of these churches are an offering that he's bringing to Jerusalem. And, and, he's, and he's doing all of this in demonstration of his faithfulness. His faithfulness to this principle of it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he's doing this in, by action and by word. He's not backing down. And yet he's encountering all kinds of opposition. Every city is being prophesied what awaits him. And now his, his friends, his close friends, his traveling companions are, are pleading with him not to go. And sometimes God does this. He tests our resolve. And this is evident in many places in the scripture. Uh, it took Noah a hundred years to build the ark. And, and he did it in the midst of ridicule. He was, the, 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 the people were attacking him. What, what are you doing building a big boat in the middle of nowhere? 
God vindicated him. Abraham was tested with the command to offer up Isaac. And he, he took Isaac and he took the, the wood and, and the fire and he goes to the mountain and, and God vindicated him. His, his faithfulness was rewarded. God provided the sacrifice. But God tested him first. Jacob wrestled with God, demanding a blessing. He wouldn't let go of God until God, God was testing him. Job is an obvious example of God's testing. David faced lions and bears and Goliath and the wrath of Saul. The prophets went through many hardships. I consider that both Elijah and Jeremiah uh, asked God to kill them because of the burdens that they were under. Uh, they bemoaned the day of their birth. Hosea was commanded to marry an unfaithful woman as a sign. Uh, Ezekiel was told to lay on his side for over a year and then to lay on his other side for over a month as a sign to Israel and Judah. Isaiah walked around naked for three years to give a sign to Egypt of all people. Jesus, the apostles, and Paul, even in today's text, encounter temptations and tests of their resolve to carry on in obedience under duress or under hard circumstances. God tests his people. And he doesn't do this as a surprise. He doesn't do this as all of a sudden, whoa, where'd that come from? He tells us right up front, he says, take up your cross and follow me. We know that if we're going to be in Christ, and if we're going to follow him, if we're going to be obedient, that means he's going to push us, and we're going to have to be stretched. He says, take up your cross and follow me, and then he shows them what that looks like. Jesus takes up his cross and hangs and dies for us. And Jesus foretold his own suffering in Jerusalem. In, in my new details, he says, I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to come back. But he, he knew what was, what was awaiting him. We know that he knew. We look at his, 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 his weeping in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and yet he goes through with it. Paul here has a vivid description of what awaits him. Agabus has tied his hands and his feet together and said, this is what's coming to you. And yet, Paul is still resolved to go forth with his plan to go to Jerusalem. He's willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. And in all of this, we learn that we must purpose to move forward in Christ and in his rest, because there's no other way to move forward. God has paved the way for us. He's shown us the way of salvation. But it's a way of suffering. There's no other way to move forward. It, it's in tribulation that we learn our limits, but it's when we're weak that God is strong, that Christ is strong in us. It's when we know we can't do anymore that we're forced to rest in Christ. And Sabbath rest is both the foundation of the ability to do this kind of thing. In order to move forward, we have to do it in faith, resting in God, 
It's, Sabbath rest is the foundation of the ability to believe and to do. Giving is better than to, to give is to better than receive. To give is better than to receive. So Sabbath rest is is both that the foundation of that kind of living, but it's also the glorious finale. It's what God has waiting for us. When we rest in God by faith, we can know peace even in the face of adversity. Even in the midst of our struggles and sufferings, we can know God is with us and He loves us and that He will carry us through this. Like Paul's companions, we can look at hard times and circumstances and recognize Jesus' lordship and say with them, the will of the Lord be done. The will of God be done. We can purpose to move forward in Christ. We can accept our lot as the good gift that the sovereign and benevolent God has given to us. Sabbath rest is by faith. We, we come to God because we believe that He is God. And, and it's the foundation of, of our ability to endure, our ability to, to make it to the end, to, 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 to push forward, to, to, to win the race, to, to win the prize. And this is possible because we believe that God's in control and He's winning the war. Our Lord is victorious. His work is victorious. Paul knows he's going to suffer in Jerusalem. And he, and he gets arrested in Jerusalem. But he goes on in chains to witness Christ. He speaks truth to kings in chains. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing what, what awaited him. And he died there, but in, in his death was the beginning of the end of death. It was the beginning of his victory over all his enemies. So God's rest is resurrection. In order to be resurrected, you must die. God's rest is resurrection. It's the gospel. Repent, die, and believe. Live. And gospel living ends with eternal glory and peace and joy. We're, we are citizens of another realm. We're looking to a life in eternity with God, in His presence and blessing and love. So Sabbath rest is both the foundation and the end point. And this all happens by faith. So where do we go from here? How do we bring this down to what it means for us day to day? Well, God gives us trials. He puts hard things in our lives. He knows each and every one of our frames, and He gives us the difficulties that we have, that we bear. And, and as an example, it's considered just Sabbath rest. Sundays are a lot of work. You parents of small children, you know that Sundays are a lot of work. God says, don't work on the seventh day. Sundays are hard. You know, getting getting up at the end of the week 
getting all those kids dressed and ready, being on time for church, you know, having to, to keep, keep short accounts with all these people that you start bumping into at church. I mean, having somebody tell you what's up. It's like, who are you? And why are you, why are you getting in my face? You know, Sundays are hard. They're difficult. I mean, we come here and, and you know, we, we spend two hours in a building with a bunch of other people. And why? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to go to the lake or know, the water park or you know, sleep in, just totally check out? Wouldn't that be nice? It, it would be a lot easier in some ways, but not ultimate. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, the, the, what he's saying is that the suffering is worth it. The suffering is worth it. And the, Paul tells us in Philippians that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured life and death on the cross. For, for the joy that was, there's a joy at the end that makes it all worth it. God tests our resolve. We commit ourselves to him. I mean, who else do you turn to for salvation, right? There's, there's no other way. That's the gospel. God is God, and he's given us the way, and it means pain, pain and suffering. Pain and suffering, and those are a part of our lives. It's part of Sunday. We come here, we suffer. But God's testing us. He's asking you this question. It's the fourth commandment. Will you obey or will you not? Are you going to submit to his will and do things his way? Or are you going to do it your own? I mean, why do we have to go on Sundays to church? I mean, why can't we just stay at home and have a little, you know, Bible reading time? I mean, some people do that. And, and that's... Uh, but, but God tells us not to forsake the gathering of his people. Are you going to obey or not? Are you going to submit to your elders? Are you going to make their job easy for them? Are you going to obey or not? This is a test. Now, it's a test and it comes with great blessing. Obedience, faithfulness have fruit. They, 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 they bear fruit. They give life and it's abundant life. The parable says 30, 60, and 100 fold. So pain is a part of our lives. We must die in order to be resurrected. But we endure for the sake of the prize. Repentance and faith bring salvation. And it's real salvation. God gives us in worship his life and it's new life and he gives us eyes to see and ears to hear what the good is that he is doing in us and around us and through us he gives us hope that it's all worth it and, and in community he gives us joy he gives us friends he, gives us, he teaches us how to live next to each other so that we're building each other up instead of tearing each other down. He teaches us, in loving Him, He teaches us how to love each other. And love is fruitful. He gives us the promise of victory, the promise of community, of unity. He gives us the promise of peace, and the truth sets us free. 
He says, I am God, and I am your God, and I will bless you if you're obedient and faithful. Be free. And then he tells us to come here every seven days so that we remember it. And don't forget it. Every seven days, come back for that life. Eat his food. Drink from his wells and be satisfied. We're reminded of his presence. We're reminded of his presence in the call to worship, where he calls us to come here. We're reminded of his presence when we confess our sins and he absolves us. He washes us clean of our sins. That's incredible. The Pharisees couldn't handle it when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. But yet, he's telling each and every one of us, every Sunday, your sins are forgiven through Christ. In the Word, in the message, the, the, the preaching of God's Word, God builds us up. He tears us apart. He, 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 he reconstitutes us and gives us knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that we can be successful in the world that He has made. And He's sending us out to go and do His work the other six days. This is worship. And it is the pattern of our lives if we're going to be faithful Christians. Sabbath rest unto Sabbath rest, moving from glory to glory to all eternity. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, let us pray. this morning can be summed up this way. If we accept the gospel, we are all on a journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. We all have our sights set on the Lord's city and eternal high Sabbath, living in the courts of glory, in the very presence of God. Along the way we suffer and encounter hardships and trials, and God tests our resolve. But God has given us assurances of his presence and blessing in the weekly patterns of worship, in the sweet fellowship of the body of Christ, in the glorious promises of scripture, and in the preaching of the word and the participation in the sacraments. Rest in him and trust him. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth, and God has placed him at the right hand of power with all authority. He conquers death. He overcomes it with resurrection. And in Jesus, trials and suffering become graces that purify and perfect us. In Christ, we die to ourselves and we give up ourselves utterly, completely, and ultimately into the hands of our God. We need to believe in God's goodness, His love, and His resurrection. So that we can say with Paul that we are not ready not only to suffer and to be bound in Jerusalem, but also to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, 
the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.